Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Our profession of faith strengthens our identity as Catholics. Also, it tells us who we are and what we're all about. Now, there are different forms of professions of faith. There can be a symbolic form. For example, last week Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, where we received ashes. We marked ourselves, telling the whole world who we are and what we are all about and what we stand for. There are also formal professions of faith that we say at Mass. For example, the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. Turn to the second reading from Paul. Here Paul proclaims a baptismal profession of faith. Notice what he says here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, Paul is telling us who we are when it comes to baptism, and through baptism, what we stand for and what we're all about. Now, that's a great segue into the gospel. In the gospel, we have that classic story of the devil tempting Jesus. And in doing so, we find out in the story exactly who Jesus is and what he is all about. But at the same time, through the temptations that we have, and our resistance and our struggle with those temptations, we recognize who we are and what we are all about as followers of Christ. Now, Notice how the gospel begins. It says, Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. Now, I would say temptation is not always a bad thing. Why? Because it's precisely in that resistance to it and our struggle with it that we come to know who we are. And part of knowing who we are is knowing who we are not. Now, if you look at some of the biblical figures, they too spent time in the desert, a period of cleansing and preparing them for their mission. I'll give you some examples Abraham, along with his son Isaac. They travel three days and three nights in the desert to go to Mount Moriah. And once they arrive at Mount Moriah, Abraham proves to God how great his faith is. How about Moses? He sees an Egyptian official attacking, mistreating a Jew, a fellow Jew, and he kills that Egyptian official. And then he flees into the desert and spends many years there tending sheep until God finally calls him to become the leader of the Israelites and lead them out of Egypt and slavery to the promised land. How about St. Paul? On that road to Damascus, he encounters the last person that he ever expected, Jesus Christ, and his life is changed forever. After his conversion, Paul tells us in 1 Galatians 
that he didn't go to the apostles in Jerusalem immediately. Instead, he fled into the Arabian desert, and for three years he remained there, until afterwards he made his way to Jerusalem to consult with the apostles. And so, the desert is a place where there's no distraction, where biblical figures focus their attention on God and God alone. Well, as we begin this season of Lent, that is now our spiritual desert in which we free ourselves from all the distractions of this world and we focus all of our attention on the presence of God in our life. Now turn to the gospel. The devil tempts Jesus three times. Now these temptations are most basic to human nature. The first temptation. Notice where Jesus is. He's standing at the floor of the desert. So this is a low-level temptation. We find out Jesus hasn't eaten in 40 days. Now, many of us who have maybe fasted for labs or blood draws, maybe for 12 hours or so, we go into the hospital or the clinic, we finally get the labs done, and we're just famished. Well, that's just 12 hours. You know, Jesus has gone without food for 40 days. So we, we can only imagine how hungry he was. Now, the temptation is a basic low-level temptation, but still nonetheless powerful. The temptation here is to focus our life on material goods that satisfy our bodily desires for food, drink, entertainment, laughter, whatever it may be. Now, should we avoid these things altogether? Well, no. We're Catholics. We're not Puritans. We can enjoy these things. There's nothing wrong with them. They're gifts given to us by God. But food, drink, pleasure, entertainment, they're not the ultimate good. When our lives become dominated by these things, when they become the center of our life, then we're in big trouble. Why? Well, because then we're blinded to the ultimate good, which is God and God alone. I love St. Augustine's analogy. He says, you know, the desires of food and drink and entertainment are like kids. They're very insistent. They want what they want, when they want it, and how they want it. And so kids pressure and put demands upon their parents. Now, parents know if they indulge their kids every time, all the time, soon it'll be the kids running the house. Well, Augustine says, now apply that to the spiritual life. The desires for food and drink and entertainment, if we allow them to dominate us and we indulge in them every time and all the time, they'll be running our house, in this case, the house of our soul. Notice how Jesus responds. One does not live on bread alone, which means we don't live by indulging all of our desires all the time. We can't base our life on this basic temptation. Don't allow those things to be the determining element in our life. The second temptation, the devil takes Jesus up so that he's shown all the magnificent kingdoms of the entire world. The second temptation is towards power. Now, we see this throughout world history. We see this even in our own day and age. Power is deeply alluring and seductive, but power is not the ultimate good. When a person makes it the ultimate good and the center of their life, they become spiritually corrupt and evil. We see that in figures throughout world history. 
Alexander the Great, Caesar, Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin, and now we see it in Putin. All seduced by power. And what happens? Hundreds of thousands, even millions of innocent people are hurt and killed. More to it, power is such a dominating force that most people, when they're seduced by power, they easily rise above that first temptation. They don't care about food or drink or entertainment. Not at all. They're focused on power. Now notice that little detail that the devil says to Jesus. I shall give you all the power that has been handed over to me. Now I don't know about you, but I find that deeply disturbing. And that's quite an indictment of the powers of this world and who controls them. This is the reason why when one person rises to a position of power, no matter what it is, they find it very difficult to resist that temptation to dominate and to manipulate those that are underneath them. St. Augustine refers to it as the libido dominande, the lust to dominate. Notice Jesus' response. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Regardless of how seductive power is, it's simply not worth the price of our soul. If one person makes power the center of their soul, the price to pay, they must now worship the devil and the loss of their soul. If having power means surrendering oneself to the powers of Satan, it's just not worth it. At the heart of the spiritual life, yes, is a surrendering, but surrendering to the will of God. The third temptation. Jesus, it says, was taken up to the parapet, which is the rooftop of the temple. Now, remember, the temple in Jerusalem is the center place of all Jewish life. It's the political, the religious, the spiritual, and the economic epicenter of the entire country of Israel. To be on top of the temple means you are on top of all Jewish life. You are glorified. Which means what? It's a place of greatest glory and fame. Now, this temptation is not for bodily desire or for power. It's the temptation for glory in the ego. For the person to say, my life is about me and my wants and my desires and my ego and my pleasure and everything else and everyone else, you get behind me. You're second to me. Well, we can't say that as Catholics and followers of Christ. What we can say is, my life is not about me. Instead, my life is about me in relationship to Christ, living out that relationship to the best of my abilities every day of my life. You know, that reminds me of the great story of St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas spent months and months writing a treatise on the Eucharist, an in-depth analysis of the Eucharist. Well, when he was finished, he didn't know if he really wrote it well. And so he took the manuscript and he went into his chapel and he laid it at the foot of the crucifix as if to get Jesus' approval. After he finished praying, he was leaving the chapel and Jesus spoke to him. Jesus said, You have written well, Thomas. What do you want for your reward? Immediately, Aquinas said, Nil nisi te, which is Latin, for nothing but you. I think that should always be in our hearts. Lord, I want nothing but you. See, then we can overcome all temptations in our life. Friends, we begin Lent. Lent is a time to go out into our spiritual desert, 
recognize the temptations in our life for what they are, and then reach out for Jesus's hand. Every time we pray, every time we go to Mass, every time we pray the Stations of the Cross, we reach out and we grasp Jesus's hand, and he grabs our hand. And in doing so, he leads us to overcome all the temptations in our life, no matter what they are, now and always. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.